0: What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. Coming up on today's show, I'll discuss what's next for Marvin Vittori, and if two of the UFC's most beloved fighters will be able to turn it around, and guess what? The Ben Askren and Jake Paul fight is just days away. I'll talk about that again today as well, but first... I need to begin with something nasty unfolding before everyone's eyes. Connor and Poirier, ooh boy, things just got fun. So, to speed this story up, okay, I can only speed it up to a week prior to their last fight. So I gotta go back a little bit because that was the time that Conor McGregor said, I will kick in a half a million dollars to Poirier's charity. Poirier has this charity out in, in Louisiana. I don't fully know what the charity does. I know at one point they built a park. I know they do stuff like in Dustin's hometown. I don't fully know what the charity does, but he's got a charity. It's an honorable thing. They've at least succeeded in building a park. That I can share with you. Connor said, I'll give it a half a million dollars. He never did. So Poirier outed him saying, you never you never paid the half a million dollars. We're good. Charity's doing fine. We're moving on without you. But he did out the fact that Connor didn't pay it, and that really... Embarrassed Connor. It didn't just upset him, it embarrassed him. And I don't know if we've ever seen Connor embarrassed before. Connor fired right back on social media, defended himself, said it was a donation, not a debt. I do not owe this. And I tried to follow where the money's going to go. Your side never got back to me. Your side left this hanging. So don't come around saying I owe you money. Oh, and by the way, our fight is now off. Go back to your old contract. I'm not doing you any favors. I mean, this is how upset and embarrassed Conor McGregor was. And I'll just share for you guys. It'll only be a few times in your life that you'll meet somebody very wealthy. You'll meet some rich people, but very wealthy is a, a whole other deal. And I only know a few billionaires in my whole life. Lorenzo Fertitta being one of them. I, I only know a couple of billionaires, but I actually know them. But I was told this by a billionaire, and he told me, When you get that kind of money, you will attempt to buy things that money can't. And he said, you'll be very hard to ever do a business relationship or transaction with a billionaire where you get a written down contract. So I don't understand. Why is that? And he said, the billionaire will operate on handshake so that he can pay you when it's done, so that he can show you he's a man of his word. He's buying integrity. Something money can't buy. He shared this with me. And I've done a couple of deals with some very wealthy people. And it's true. So I bring it to you guys. I was never aware of it. You probably found that very interesting. But it is true. Rich guys don't want to just buy a yacht. They don't want to buy the fancy car, or the fancy house. They're going to do all of those things. Not largely because they're rich. Because they're scumbags. And they want other people to know they're rich. They will try to buy things that money can't. And your word is number one. So Connor had his word called into question. Does Connor make a fair point? Based on the limited information we have, based on 160 characters or less, a couple of messages from both of them, Connor says he got left hanging on an email thread on where the money was going to go, and therefore that's why he didn't put up the money. And he's also saying it from the high-handed approach of that's why I didn't send the money. I'm good for the money, but that's why I didn't send the money. No, Connor's not right here. Absolutely not. Connor never said, I'm going to check this. I'm going to vet this. My people are going to follow her up. Connor said, I'm going to put $500,000 to your charity. He did that publicly in the media as a self serving message to say something about himself that he's a good guy. He then quietly didn't do it. Publicly, he said one thing that privately he didn't do. No, Connor's wrong here. Connor loses this. There was no discussion of checking and where it goes and back and forth and emails. There was a blanket statement said in the press in a self-serving message that Connor felt was worth half a million dollars. Connor don't give a goddamn about Dustin Poirier's charity or what he's doing in the park in Lafayette, Louisiana. And by the way, I'm not speaking to Connor. I donated to the charity. I couldn't care less about the park. I did it to look like a cool guy. I just brought it up to you guys and said that I did it not to help then build a swing set. I said it so now you think Chael's a nice guy. I'm sharing with you why he did it. Connor thought this was half a million dollars worth of PR, which is why he did it to the press. Connor didn't want to write the check, which is why he did it and tried to keep it out of the press. That's what happened. And Connor's not going to be any happier about this than anybody else. But at no part of this deal, if you're trying to talk about being man of your word, and that is what they're arguing about, Connor was attempting to buy something that money couldn't, which was integrity. At no part in this did he put stipulations on it. He said, I'm going to write the check. He didn't write the check. By the way, I suppose we should discuss the threat by Conor McGregor to not fight Dustin Poirier. What do we take from that? Is that hype promotion? I mean, I would tell you, you're dealing with a master here. Conor McGregor is a master. And that will definitely get headlines, particularly if he stays with it. Stay with it two or three days. Let that die, then come back. But is the Dustin Poirier versus Conor fight the biggest fight that you could make or the biggest fight that Conor could get? No. No, it's not. So if you want to look at it from that perspective, it's not as though anybody's left holding the bag except Dustin Poirier. Connor's check won't be any smaller. Neither will the organizations. Neither will the pundits that cover these things. Red Panning Night is, is very real still. Still. Even if it's dimming, it's still real. I'm sharing that with you. I work in this space. I mean, in all fairness, the number one thing that Connor would get from fighting Poirier is try to redeem this and make it two to one. If it goes the other way and it ends up one and two, he looks like a fool. It's one and one right now. He could probably live the rest of his life like that. I mean, in all fairness, this, this all comes from a competitive standpoint of Conor McGregor wanting to right this wrong, similar to the way he did with Nate Diaz, hoping that the story gets written that way. There's not a whole lot here for Conor, except for that. It's, it's a major intrinsic value. And all fighters will operate off that. All fighters that are out there Something makes them tick. Something drives them. I'm just identifying in this case what it is for Connor is purely intrinsic. There is nothing in his world around him that changes if he beats Dustin Poirier inside how he feels does. I bring that to you because I would tend to lean towards the side that this was a piece of promotion or that this was lashing out. And that cooler heads will prevail. I tend to lean towards that side, but you now have Connor, who is in a position because he had his word questioned, who is now given a word about something else. I mean, does he lose twice? There's not a, there's not a great position here. Connor didn't write a check, he said he was going to write. Things don't get much lower than publicly saying you're going to do something, to get yourself a pat on the back and then not writing the check. There's really not anything much lower than that. That's a that's a bad move. And he got outed for it. Now what do you do? Do you double down? You try to right one wrong by showing him a man of your word by not fighting a guy? If he doesn't write the check and he fights him, it's now two losses, two things he said that he was going to do that he didn't do. However, does that get countered out by the fact that he already signed a contract and said that he would do it? See the problem? Guys always go a little bit too far. Go a little bit too far. He's in a bit of a corner right now. On one hand, he said he was going to do a fight. On the other hand, he says he's not going to do the fight. Which one is going to be true? Whichever one is true makes the other one untrue. So even if he tells the truth and you could go either way with it, he's now told a lie to the other one by default. Are you with me here? Are you staying with the story? Wake up. Hello. It's a little bit problematic and he should have left it out. And I can personalize this. When I did The Ultimate Fighter with Vandalay, who, by the way, I hope is having a wonderful life, but at that time did not get along well. Vandelay demanded that I give an apology. Day one, demanded I give an apology. He should have stopped there. Could have looked like a good guy. He went too far. He said, and if you don't, I'm leaving. I quit on day one. Day one to a multi-hundred thousand dollar project that hasn't started yet, but has been paid for. He's going to quit. He can't quit. We're all there. He's trying to be the good guy. If he walks out and I stay and I got to train the teams, I'm now the good guy. So he can't quit, but he said he would. See the problem? He went too far. He was not wrong to demand the apology if he was trying to look like a good guy and I had just insulted the group. He wasn't wrong for that. It was a little weird. It was self-serving, but he wasn't wrong. The mistake he made is not giving himself a way out. You always give your enemy a way out. Always. Even in the art of war. Even if it's nation against nation, where actual things could be broken and people could be killed, you always give your enemy a way out. You'll never see the president of this country negotiating with the president of a different country without giving that guy a way out. Because we don't want to fight. The art of war, the best best general never fires a shot. We've had presidents in this country who didn't understand the art of war who have led us into battle. Because they didn't know how to negotiate. You always give your opponent a way out. Always. You never start throwing punches till you back up as far as you can. Your shoulders hit the wall. There's nowhere else to go. I got Now I got to go forward. Now we have to fight. It was a mistake. When Vandalay put that condition on it with me, it was a mistake. Because I wasn't going to apologize. And I didn't apologize. And he was on set next day for work at 8 a.m. Right now he looks like a fool. It's one of these things. Connor's in a tough spot. What should Connor do? I spoke to somebody on Connor's team today, this morning, about this, whose advice for Connor is, we need to write this check and we need to write it today. I'm looking around going, why? You owe $500,000. You need to write it for that point of your integrity. I agree with you. But in the world of PR, which is what we're discussing right now, he's just going to look weak. Connor tried to buy a half a million dollars worth of PR. He now got $5 million put against him by not being a man of his word, which questions everything. How are you going to go do business? Mr. Businessman, how are you going to do any business with him if you know that he can't be trusted? It's a big deal. So now he's going to write the check, but only because he got called out. I mean, you see where it becomes a mess? It's a mess. Now he says he's not going to fight Poirier. If he backs down on that, do you see where it becomes a problem? But do you also see where this becomes Dustin Poirier's problem? Dustin Poirier also overplayed his hand. The A-side generally never, I apologize, the B-side generally never knows who the A-side is. Every fight, the athlete arrogantly thinks that he's needed. And that was Poirier's mistake. He's not needed. Conor's next pay-per-view is going to do a million buys. I have not told you who the opponent was. But I don't need to. Connor's next pay per view is going to do a million buys. This statement is still true. Connor's next pay per view will not be for a world championship. That that story is not going to change. Connor's next pay per view is going to be in a main event. Connor's next pay per I, I could keep going all day long and never have to tell you who his opponent is. There's no other athlete like that right now, and the only one that we even see coming down the pike is Francis Ngannou, which is where John Jones made the mistake. John Jones thought he was coming in to be the A side. He forgot that he gave his belt back. He forgot he has been champion so long, he forgot he wasn't the champion. Forgot he doesn't matter. He didn't have to show up at all. That was the mistake Dustin made. Dustin and Connor, whether you like it or not, or whether you want to accept it, and most fighters are, are never intelligent enough to get to this point. It's also the mistake that was made here. But Dustin and Connor, no matter how real this is, no matter how much they do not like each other, no matter what, they are partners. They are going to come together and they're going to do business one night. So if you attempt to insult or embarrass your partner, I will tell you, I have partners. I would never publicly embarrass my partner. I would never publicly insult my partner. Even in the world of trash talk, stay away from what's true. It's the truth that hurts. Number of things you can say about a guy, you start bringing the truth into it, you start to have a problem. I'm only sharing with you, I don't know where this is going to go. But if we are to quickly default to the idea that this is nothing more than promotion by Connor, You do have to hear the other side of it, which is Connor does not need and has never needed Dustin For extrinsic reasons Internally he'd like to get that one right, and that's a powerful feel, that's going to be a very powerful emotion in this So let's see where this goes, but they are partners And one partner just publicly, by using the truth, the thing that hurts the most, embarrassed another partner Moving from two guys near the top of the lightweight division to someone trying to find his way back into that conversation. What do we make of Tony Ferguson? What do we make of all this stuff going on? And what's going to happen with Tony Ferguson versus Benny Darouche? I'll tell you what history says. History says Benny wins. History says the new up-and-comer beats the former champion. History says the younger guy beats the older guy, right? I mean, I could go on and on. It all favors Benny. But Dominic Cruz just kicked history right in the teeth three weeks ago. Dominic Cruz just took everything I just said to be true and then went and won every single round against his opponent. So how does that carry over to Tony? Does it carry over to Tony? Look, there is a fine line in genius and insanity. And I'm telling you, Tony Ferg is a genius. He came out and he just said he did away with his varsity mentality and replaced it with an Olympic mentality. Now, you may not know what that means, but Tony Ferguson is a national champion wrestler. Tony Ferguson has a tattoo on his back, which is the USA Wrestling logo. So when he's talking about an Olympic mentality, he's talking about a grind. He's talking about a sacrifice. He's talking about a no matter what. I'm going to find a way. That's what he's talking about. And he's now changed his camp and he's trained at the wild card gym. For a lot of fighters, that would really bother me. For any other 36-year-old fighter or 36-year-old former champion, that would really bother me. But Tony Ferguson's a guy who has been on his own for many years. I've seen countless press conferences where they ask Tony who's his coach, and Tony says, let me stop you right there. I am my coach. I am the head of this. I was at a press conference where Tony, with the audience, was looking for sparring partners, and he wasn't kidding. So the fact that Tony has a structure at the Wild Card Gym, oh by the way, surrounded by world and Olympic, alike-minded athletes, amateurs who are up and coming, a little mix of everything is awesome. And I'll only work with a coach if you can't if you can't train the kids, you can't work with me. But I believe in the basics. I believe it's basics that win championships. So if you want to train me for a world title fight. You have to also be able to work with a nine and a 10 and an 11-year-old kid who's got the same dream, who's got that same look in his eye, who still needs to look and be reminded of the basics. Chin down, hand up, jab leaves, jab returns, jab starts everything, finish with a kick. I mean, it's just the basics, but it's nonstop, but that's what wins championships. That's what you see on Saturday night. That's who you see with the belt around their waist. It's not the flashy guys that are looking for the oohs and ahs of the crowd. It's the basics. This setup to this attack, make sure you finish. That's what wins. So the fact that Tony Ferguson is now in a a room that's a smorgasbord, at least for me, is the best kind of room you can be in. Young guys with a dream and a thought in their mind, all the way to the hardened pros getting ready and refining? Do people that have trials coming up onto the games this summer, should they be successful? I only bring with you because when we see great fighters switch coaches and gyms, it's generally a sign of the beginning of the end. That's not totally what happened with Tony. And I just want to remind you of that. Tony didn't go from this gym to this gym. Tony went from training himself and doing the best that he could to getting some structure. That sounds like a positive to me. And the X's and O's of Benny versus Tony, right? If you're going to Tony, his last two fights were very confusing. They really were. Let's just back up and just, just, let's walk down memory lane real fast. Tony versus Gaethje for the championship. What was so unique about that is Gaethje outstruck Tony. We've never seen Tony get outstruck. It was a big surprise, but it's what happened. When Tony took on Oliveira, Tony got out-wrestled, which was a big surprise because we've never seen it happen. So it was one of these things where Gaethje came out one-minded, which was striking. Oliver came out one-minded, which was grappling, and specifically the wrestling. Oliver did a great job on top two. I will give him his due. But the surprise was that he could take Tony down. That was a surprise. I'm reminding you guys of this because the fight's been separated. I just want to remind you. Generally speaking, when you're dealing with Tony, your problem you're going to have to deal with is can you be here at the end of the night as much as he is? Tony loses the first round a lot more than you may be aware. But he's just getting going. He's one of those guys. He's just getting going. Tony has lost the first round and stopped the fight in the second more times than you're aware. It's not a matter if he throws the first away and then grabs the next two. Tony will throw the first away. You will be so exhausted. He will stop you. You won't make it out of the second. You go look at Tony's record. You go look a little bit closer. How did he win those fights? With what positions did he win those fights? Tony's won fights with ground and pound from the bottom. Some of those are registered as submissions. Go back and watch them. It wasn't the triangle that Tony won with. It was the elbows that he put in your head while he had you trapped in a triangle. I'm just sharing with you, Tony's a very unique guy. And generally, the biggest question you have to ask yourself is, can I keep up? Can my pace keep up with his pace? Well, if I was to bring in Benny Derouche. I got to give Benny a lot of those same compliments. And one thing that Benny does do, and as recently as his last fight, which was a rematch over a guy that he'd already beaten, and he had to do the rematch because nobody wanted to fight Benny, but Benny just goes harder than you. Simple as that. It's not who can hit better or hit harder. Benny's going to hit more. It's not who can kick harder or who can kick better. Benny's going to kick you more. So these guys, in many ways, they wash each other out in many ways. They're both going to go 15 hard minutes. So the question does come down to how are we going to score this damn thing? How are we going to score this fight? Well, we're going to score. Who, I touch you and you don't touch me. Name of the game. Clayton hires 101. Clayton hires is the best trainer I've ever, I've ever seen. And he will tell you on your first day to the time you're walking to that cage for a championship, name of this game. I touch you and you don't touch me. Remember that. I only bring that to you because guys are going to go out and touch each other. A major opportunity by Benny. I don't, there's nobody else at 155 pounds that's handing out opportunities more than Tony Ferguson. And Tony Ferguson gets no credit for it, by the way. We got guys at 155 pounds sitting on their ass believing that they're going to walk right into a championship fight. I'll let you know they're not. Wherever they heard that, however high up they heard, they're not. They're not. Championship fights are going to go to the guys that are fresh in people's minds, same as every other championship fight since 1993 when they set this cage up. You are not going to sit out and be remembered or be cared about or all of a sudden the next thing that you see in the fight business is cameras coming to your house to make a show because they're going to cut up some B-roll and drop you in a pay-per-view. Unless your name is Brock Lesnar, that's never happened within this sport before. And your name is not Brock. I bring it to you because Tony's giving out opportunities but nobody thanks him. That's a side note. Benny and Tony got a war coming. They got a war coming. There's going to be a lot on it. Whoever comes out of this is going to come out in a very good position. On a different conversation, I want Benny to remember this. There will be a day, and that day is coming, that day is likely to be here in 2021, when Benny will be the guy up in the loft, And he can be a scumbag like the rest of the guys that pulls the rope up behind him, or he can be like Tony Ferguson that leaves the rope down so somebody else can climb up. I'm a Benny fan. We'll see how this goes, but I'll tell you for me to stay a Benny fan, it only goes one way. Coming up in a moment, I'm going to tell you about my biggest takeaways from last weekend's Vittori Holland main event. But first, a word from our sponsor. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always looking at a screen now more than ever. And whether you are an avid news watcher or in serious need of a distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content I'm itching for is by putting in my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to something fun like Your Welcome. Whether you're catching up on past episodes of Your Welcome, binging on an audiobook, or powering through a workout with a pumped-up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. What I like most about my Raycons is they actually fit my ears. Unfortunately, there's always a few earbuds that seem to fit in my mangled cauliflower ear. These earbuds are the most comfortable and the most discreet. No dangling wires or stems to get in the way here. And they come in a range of stylish colors. Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. And with enough battery life for six hours of playtime, you can unplug for a while. The best part? Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of the other premium audio brands. Raycon is offering 15% off of their products for my listeners only. And the way to get it is go to buyraycon.com slash That's it you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash chale. Buy, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Did Marvin Vittori do enough To earn himself a number one contendership against Izzy. After all, he had a record. He had the takedown record. I'm kind of looking around and going, who cares? If he would have had a jab record, a kick record, a takedown record, a submission attempt record, no, that has nothing to do with it at all. Whatever, in any sport. It wouldn't matter if it was football, baseball, basketball, you name it across the board. Whatever's happened is gone. It's forgotten. What can you do today and what's coming up next? That's just how sports work, so... I bring that to you because Vittori on paper is a great argument. Great argument. Not to mention, he already had a fight with Adesanya where one licensed judge thought that he won. So I only bring that to you. Like, if we're going to talk about paper, who's rightful for it? Who's the best guy for it? Vittori went closer with Adesanya than his competitors for the number one contendership did. Closer than Whitaker... Closer than Gatslam. Gatslam had a much more exciting fight to the point that it won fight of the year. Not just fight of the night. It won fight of the night. Fight of the whole year. So Kelvin's not without argument. Whitaker is not without the right to redeem himself after being perfect in his career. Vittori is not wrong to come out with the argument that I've won two main events now stopping guys on very short notice that I wasn't even prepared for. Oh, and by the way, I already beat you, at least according to one judge. A very similar argument, in many ways, to what Derek Lewis is using to get Francis. We're hearing that Francis doesn't want that fight, that he there was something he felt in the Derek Lewis fight, and he doesn't want to do it again. We're hearing that. I don't know how much I believe those reports, in all fairness. I really don't know how much I believe those reports. That you're telling me Francis Ngannou is is afraid to go in there and fight with somebody. That seems like a, a tough belief to me. I don't know who put those reports out. If I did know, I'd share it with you. It wasn't anybody of any level of validity. But it's a very similar argument. And it's very tough to dismiss Derek for those reasons. It's the reason that Derek was offered that fight. So if we just use that same logic, and we do understand that Derek was at least offered the fight... All we're talking about here is can Marvin get offered the fight? Well, then you got to put yourself in Adesanya's shoes because is very unique. He's very unique. It's not like anybody else. Adesanya has not fought anybody in well over a year and a half that he didn't want to fight. I don't know of any other champion that has controlled his own career as much as Adesanya. So I keep harping back to the idea that you must get Adesanya's blessing. I would guess that Adesanya would like a little bit of parody. And I also brought that to you guys a week ago. I brought you that statement because I was looking at Vittori. I was looking at Whitaker and I was looking at Kelvin. And I had forgot that Adesanya fought Vittori. I forgot it. So when I told you that I thought that Adesanya would like a little bit of parody and that that was good for Vittori, I forgot that they fought. Does that matter? Look, it appears to me that Adesanya is going to have to start redoing fights. Unless Adesanya just gets wild and crazy and calls out Darren Till, which he might, which he might, but absent of that, right? And then he's got to get Dana to listen. He's got to get a whole lot of people to listen, but he's shown that he's pretty good at getting people to listen. So outside of Darren Till, it still brings you back to the Paulo Costas of the world who sat out it brings you to the Whitaker Gatslum, and they're going to eliminate one of each other. One of those two gets eliminated from this conversation, and then it leaves you with Vittori. I mean, I would think that Marvin Vittori is in a really, really good spot right now. And Vittori did some stuff in that match that he didn't get credit for. A lot of the talk was not Vittori's takedown. Vittori's takedown was actually dialogue number two. Surprisingly and unfairly, the biggest talk coming out of that fight was Kevin Holland's inability to stop the takedown? That was talk number one. That was followed by a record setting amount of takedowns by Vittori, which should have, in all fairness, been number one. But you still miss the fight. You still miss the championship rounds that Vittori pushed through with ever bit as much output as he did in rounds one and two. That is rare. And I understand where the audience won't always appreciate that. You expect your athletes, as long as they're on the field, to be in condition to go as long as the play is going. I'm just sharing with you in this sport, a lot of guys can't. And Vittori proved that he can. Also, Vittori took some big shots. And it's a question of how did he handle those shots or what did those shots do to him? And guess what? Nothing. Some of you are disputing that he even took big shots right now. I know you are. Some of you are hearing that go, Chael, he didn't take any big shots. Yes, he did. He took some really big shots. His knees just never buckled. He never backed up. He never showed it. He dealt with it and he pushed forward. Vittori's a tough son of a bitch. I'll tell you right now. I mean, he is a tough, tough guy. And if we are to look forward to Vittori versus Adesanya, which if I was to give a prediction, and this is in all admittance a recency bias. But if I was to make a prediction for how that fight would go, I would just have to look back to their first fight, which Vittori did a lot better on his feet than people thought he would do, and Vittori's takedowns were a lot better than people thought they were. Now, Adesanya's takedown defense has never been at a higher point. So I think that you do have a different fight. But different doesn't necessarily mean you have a different outcome. And don't forget this outcome. Don't tell me Adesanya won. I, I, I get it, but what I'm sharing, out. one judge said Vittori won. Michael Bisping called it ringside, and Michael Bisping said Vittori won. So when I talk about a different outcome, what I'm saying is, even in the absence of the takedowns, we should not falsely believe that Vittori couldn't just change to his plan B, which is stand-up fighting, and he's pretty damn good at it. That's one thing that could be ignored. And you're going to take shots when you fight Adesanya. He's just too fast. He's just too crafty. You're going to take shots. Vittori showed in their first fight and then reminded us again Saturday against Kevin Holland that he can take a shot. It's an interesting match. In a normal world, in any other weight class, I would come to you today confidently telling you we're going to see Vittori versus Adesanya. The only reservation I have because Vittori checks every box. Man event fighter, yes. Proved he can win main events, yes. Top guy, yes. Proved he can go with Adasanya, yes. He checks every box. This is very unique that you need Adasanya's interest. And Vittori got it once. Adasanya didn't have the same poll back then. Maybe getting his interest, I'm talking about Adasanya, back then was you just get a phone call, this who you're fighting. Maybe, I understand. It was a different time. He got it all the same once. He deserves to get it again. I would like to see Vittori get it again. But we need to hear from the champ. If the champ says yes, then this fight will happen. So those are my thoughts on Marvin Vittori, but now let's turn our attention to the guy who was on the other side of the octagon a few days ago. What do you guys think is going to happen with Kevin Holland? I I ask you from this perspective. Do you think he's going to be able to plug the holes in his game? Look at it like that. And now that that has been exposed, and everybody gets exposed over time. Some guys' holes are a lot smaller. Some guys' holes are more glaring. But everybody gets exposed. And I only bring that to you because this isn't a pick on Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland is a guy that nobody knew who's now a main eventer. A multiple time, made of, I mean, Kevin Hollis did a great job in the sport. If anybody's had a meteoric rise, but because of that, because of all eyeballs on him, we're starting to see, study, and break down some of the deficiencies that he's had. And now that we've seen it twice in a row, what do we make of that? Well, I would stop you right there only to tell you this. We haven't seen the same problem twice in a row. Not in a fair perspective because they were back-to-back. I don't know that, that was... Two five round fights Or if that was one 10 round fight in, in the vein that They were back to back When Kevin learned against Brunson That he's got some problems with positions That first off The takedown defense has got to Offer more resistance Second off, the scrambles from the bottom Have to be an emphasis Way before your triangles and arm bars And third, and by far most importantly You cannot beat good guys from your back doesn't happen. You're not, you don't win main events from your back. You can win them on the ground. You can't win them from your back. And there's a difference. I would like to point that out. I am a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And I had some people of my own community who thought I was bad-mouthing jiu-jitsu. You can think whatever you want about jiu-jitsu. I don't give a damn. As soon as you have a sweat, jiu-jitsu's out the door. It's the reason they don't do it Unless you're wearing a gi, just so you understand. So if that hurts your feelings, check your feelings somewhere else. Facts don't care about your feelings. And secondly, show me a main event where somebody won on the ground from their back. That's what I'm offering. let not saying you can't get on top of somebody. He's ready to go when you put in a choke. From the top. I'm talking about from your back in a main event. And I know you could bring me examples. You could laugh in my face and say, Chale, I saw Anderson do it to you. I understand these things. Sharing with you that was 2009. It was a rarity. and I'm talking about in today's world. Kevin Holland represents a new age of fighter. And main event guys don't win from their back. It's a broad stroke statement. But it's also a lesson that you want to take away with. There's people that are hired. It is solely their job. I'm a big wrestling fan. But USA Wrestling, we do it every year. One person's job. World Championship happens. They go into the office, into a room alone, and lock themselves in there for about a month. And they watch every single match in every single weight class, and they take notes. At the world and Olympic level, how many takedowns happened in the entire tournament? Great. How many of those were a single? How many of those were a high crotch? How many of those were a double? Great. When people scored on top, were they scoring with a Turk, with a bow and arrow, with a leg lace, with a gut wrench, and they will break these things down. So once you study those numbers and you start to see where the high percentage techniques are, that should guide you in the direction if you have World and Olympic aspirations. When I tell you that you do not win in a main event from your back, I'm right. No matter how much you want to believe that laying there and being lazy should be rewarded or is rewarded. It's not. Numbers don't lie. And I bring this to you because I don't think that Kevin Holland has failed twice at the same thing. I really don't. I think it was in such a short period of time. It's reasonable to understand, after what we saw Brunson do, that Kevin now knows what he needs to work on. I submit for you he didn't have time to work on it. So I submit for you, between Brunson and Vittori, we saw very good things from Kevin Holland that the haters don't want to admit, but we saw a guy dig deep. We saw a guy enter the five-round club. We saw a guy who never gave up in championship rounds, never gave up at any point. We saw a guy who was pretty wild and ready to go on his feet. And by the way, some of the most effective striking you're ever going to see is pretty wild striking from guys who were just ready to go. It's not by the numbers. Ah, 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 ah. You're throwing. You're throwing. That's the stuff that lands. That's the stuff that sticks. That's the stuff that's hard to see. I see Kevin Holland. I see a great product here. But I see a guy who's going to need to work on this grappling business. But it's a three-pronged approach, and he's got to understand all three. It can't just be offer resistance to takedowns. Okay, problem solved. No, wrong. Wrong. If you... Can scramble up off the bottom In many ways that's more effective If you stuff a takedown the fight goes on If you get taken down you get up off the bottom Your opponent's now done That will break him mentally And I will tell you this as a wrestler If we go through the energy to exert To take somebody down Which is the most energy you can use For any single technique within all of the unified rules We must have a second to hold you there We must Be able to get a couple of breaths back And if you go down, you cause a scramble, and you pop back to your feet. The wrestler has now exerted energy, and he's stuck in the same spot that he admittedly did not want to be in, which is why he attempted to take you down in the first place. It's paramount that you can get off the bottom. And ultimately, from a mindset, you got to know you're not going to win a fight against the good guys from your back. Period. Period. You're not going to win a fight from your back. So what does that mean? If you're a ground fighter, what's that mean? It means do the Damian Maya and get the damn reversal. People love to talk about how many fights Damian Maya has won off their back. Those people have short-term memories. Very, very few. Maya goes to his back and instantly sets up a half guard what? Sweep. Reversal. Gets him on top. He's still on the ground. He's a ground fighter. But he's now on top. That's completely different, jujitsu. You now have position. Effective jiu-jitsu in MMA goes in two orders, but it goes in this order. Position, submission. In grappling, it can be submission followed by position, not in MMA. It is position first, then submission. You got to get on top. So when we look at some of the holes in Kevin's boat, and these are the only two that we've seen. We've seen him seven times in the last 14 months. That's a lot of times. And we've only identified one bad thing, and you're going to come out badmouth Kevin Holland to me? How? Out of seven fights at a weight class that he says he doesn't even want to compete in, we found one whole man? That sounds like Kevin's done a pretty goddamn good job to me. I feel like I could watch any other fighter fight seven times, and I could bring you more than one error that they're making. I, I really feel like that. With Kevin, See him fight seven times, I see one problem. Kevin's talking about going to go and train with D.C., I don't know that anybody knows the sport better. Maybe a couple of people as well. I I don't know that anybody knows the sport better than Daniel Cormier. And I've seen Daniel coach. I will also share with you, I'm not sure anybody can communicate and teach the sport better than Daniel Cormier. So if Holland says that's what he's going to do, I think he's in great hands. I would encourage Kevin in the meanwhile to not believe he has to start with the master. If I, if I want to learn boxing, I don't need to go spar with Wilder today. I need to work my way into that. And I only bring you that because to learn wrestling at a late age, you have to do one thing. You have to, which is humble yourself. And you want to know why? You want to know why? It's not like an art like where you got to bow and it's about humility. No, excuse me. All the wrestling gyms that you're going to find, you're going to have to go to a junior high if they have a program. A local high school likely will have a program. You can attach yourself to a community college that allow you in the room. Or you're going to have to go to a summer camp, which, by the way, is largely done by kids. What's that mean? That means you're the big bad guy fighting on ESPN on Saturday night. You're about to get your ass kicked by some children. It's the reality. Until you know what you're doing in wrestling, until you understand some of those basics, get your hips back, arms come inside... Cross face, peel away, until you understand these things, you're going to lose to some children, which you must humble yourself. I watched Randy Couture as the heavyweight champion of the world go into a high school room every single day and wrestle. It kept him fresh, it kept him sharp, but it's also the secret to Randy's longevity. It wasn't good vitamins, luck, DNA, it was none of those things. He trained with the kids, nobody could pass him up. So next generation comes along, they just pass you up. Your knowledge that was new and cutting edge is now old. That's just that's just sport. Never happened to Randy because he always trained with the kids. He trained with that next generation. But I want to bring you this point because Kevin Holland, to learn wrest to learn wrestling's tough. Look, you want to learn karate, go grab the yellow pages and flip through it. You'll find a school. Go ahead and go in there. You want to learn Taekwondo, go get to an internet, type it in, man. A gym will pop up. You there's no such thing in wrestling. There is no gym in wrestling. There is no studio. There is no come sign up and be here tomorrow at 3. It doesn't exist. It exists in the schools, and the schools exist with the youth. Which means, yes, you're going to go take some beatings from juniors, from sophomores. It's tough. It's tough. But if it was a good enough strategy for Randy Couture, it's a good enough strategy for you, and I only offer that to you because from what I know of Kevin Holland, he's brave. He's ferocious. He's fun. He's charismatic. I don't know if he's humble. I don't know. I don't know. He probably doesn't know. He's probably not been in this situation. But that's the one thing tough about wrestling that people never understand. Why can a wrestler come over and learn boxing? Why can a boxer come over and not learn wrestling? Because the boxer doesn't have anywhere to learn it. People don't understand this concept. It's not that there are different levels of athletes. It's that you can go sign up for boxing anywhere. You can only get wrestling in an institution. Nobody else wrestles. So now you gotta humble yourself. You gotta talk to the coach. You gotta introduce yourself. Go find yourself a pair of shoes and you gotta show up every day on time. And they're long and hard practices and you're gonna get whipped by some kids. It's a tough thing to learn wrestling. You could do it if you want, but it's a tough thing to learn. Adversely, you cannot just fly out even to the master of Daniel Cormier because Daniel will watch you and he will guide you and he will instruct you, but he's going to make you wrestle with the only people that do, the kids. Before we wrap up today's show, the moment we've all been waiting for is almost here. So allow me to give some of my closing thoughts on the fight we're all dying to see. Jake Paul has promised to finish Ben Askren in two rounds or less. I got to tell you, I've never understood the promise. I understand the prediction, right? Because I understand hype. I understand trash talk. I don't understand a promise. The promise is a little bit bizarre. Oh, and by the way, shoot you in the foot when your card sucks. Right? I mean, in all fairness, we're all tuning in for a main event. Let's say Paul's right. Because after all, he promised. Well, what do I do? I'm going to throw a party for six minutes or less. I'm going to order pizzas. I'm going to get drinks. I'm going to have the friends over. I'm going to clean the living room for six minutes or less. Do you guys remember this happened? Happened to Mike Tyson. Mike was beating guys so fast and easy. And it wasn't that Mike was so good. His opponent sucked so bad. But you could get away with that in boxing. It was expected in boxing. It was no big deal to bring in a bum in boxing, just the way that it went. And so Mike was getting rid of these guys so fast. TV came out. Don King came out and said, if Mike finishes in less than a round, we'll give you half your money back. You don't even need to call us. Don't call us. Don't write a letter. We will just take half the price off your bill. It became a problem. And we're told in this sport and that of MMA that people want the finish. I've been in live arenas and the finish is not what brings the crowd to their feet. A finish is really great because the matches are scheduled for too long, particularly in boxing. No one wants to see that. There is a sweet spot. I'm sitting here complaining that it could be less than six minutes. Or there was actually a piece of business that was refunded if Mike's were less than three. But I don't want to see 36 minutes either. That's too damn long. Paul and Askren are only scheduled for eight. Oh, thank goodness. Right? Thank goodness. Who's the genius that came up with that? Because in all fairness, he does deserve a pat on the back. There should be no boxing anywhere. More than eight rounds. But I will share for you, it's a very interesting promise, and it does also, I believe, lend to Paul's strategy. I predicted from Jump Street that Askren's not going to be in a boxing match. He's going to be in a competition. Competitions are very different than boxing. Boxings are about points if you're in the amateurs. They're about damage if you're in the pros. If you find yourself in a competition, that's about who can go harder longer. Who can make the other one tired... And quit And that's what Askren is going out there to do Now if Paul comes out to get rid of him In six minutes or less Or less could mean one minute It could be two minutes I mean it could be anything It's or less Well you're going to have to go pretty hard Right in all fairness Paul doesn't have power You'll always hear like the fight's coming up And you'll get some really lazy analyst to come out And I assure you it's not an analyst that has a job It's an analyst that you know puts this stuff out for free And he'll like, say well there's a puncher's chance Tell me the last time a puncher had a chance. I mean, I realize that that expression exists and we're never going to get away with it, but I'll tell you when it was. It was when George Foreman beat Moore for the championship. And prior to that, it was when Buster Douglas beat Tyson in a big upset. A puncher's chance really isn't a real thing. It's an expression, and you can throw it out there, and it's a way to hedge your bet. You're going to look lazy, and you're going to be a boring guy that people aren't going to come back to. But this whole puncher's chance business, as untrue as it is, and the untruer that it is with 16-ounce gloves on, is really, really untrue when you're dealing with an amateur named Paul. I mean, in all fairness, he doesn't have the power. So that is not a very likely scenario, even for a lazy analyst, to say he has a puncher, he could catch him and put him down. You're going to have to show me some level of data where he's caught people and put them down or where his opponent has been caught and put down. Or actually, let's just take that out of the equation. Just show me anybody in boxing in 16-ounce gloves that's had a puncher chance prior to the two examples I just provided for you, both of which were most recently two decades ago. It's one of these things, right? But nobody knows what in the hell they're talking about when they're talking about fighting anyway. And even less people know less about what they're talking about when they talk about boxing. But it is interesting that Paul promised six minutes because I promise you, that just made me a lot less interested in a match. I'm not tuning in to watch anybody that I've got to set a Saturday night, Saturday night aside for if I know for sure. Now, I am going to tune in because I don't think that he's right. I think he's going to break the promise. I'm just attempting to prove a point. That I don't know how badly that's a promise that you want to keep if you're in the business of fighting. If you're in the sport of fighting, you're one of the combatants and contestants. Yes, you would love to be out of there as quickly as you can. Grab the paycheck and move on to the next one. But he was saying it to the audience who was us. I just found it a little bit bizarre. This isn't the hill that I want to die on, but I will make a point that it was a little bit strange that he said promise. Meanwhile, in the world of boxing, Tyson Fury has called out Francis Ngannou. Said, I will smoke that guy. Now that's a very interesting match because Tyson is serious. I don't think that Tyson and Ngana were ever going to do business together And I think that even if they are, Tyson's just looking To to hype the fight What I'm sharing with you, if Tyson Fury was offered that opportunity He would take it This would not be in a song and a dance like you do When you deal with Floyd Mayweather Who's going to dangle something and see if there's any biters And if there's not, he'll put his head down And if there are, then he's going to turn them upside down And shake their pockets till the money falls out Tyson Fury likes to fight And it is a, very, a little bit of an interesting match right? Because what rules are we going to go under? It sounds like Queensberry but that also would pertain to what gloves we're going to wear. So if we're going to put on 16 ounces, then yes, Tyson's going to go kick Francis's ass. That's true. They put on 4-ouncers, Tyson's going to beat him up, but it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. That one's not going to be quite as easy. That one is going to have a little bit more discussion behind it. The big problem that they would have, even, even in this make-believe fight that isn't going to happen, Francis is on accident able to rely on his opponent's Not engaging. The plan to fight Francis is circle for 10 minutes and get him tired. That's the plan or the hope. But every opponent will keep some range. They'll keep some distance. And the few that don't have one thing in common, which is they were out of uh, consciousness in less than 60 seconds. So I only share with you, when you're dealing with a Tyson Fury, who's going to come straight across the ring, he's one of the few men as tall, he's one of the few men as big as Francis, and he's not going to be scared of the punches. Because it's what he does. I only share with you that, yes, Tyson's likely to get him out of there pretty quickly. and would also be a, a look dear in the headlights that Francis isn't used to seeing. Conversation that I'm not sure that we need to have, considering they do two different sports. And whenever the boxer calls out the MMA guy, he always wants to call him to his set of rules. Like, where does that end? I mean, if your goal is to beat up an MMA guy, but it has to be under that set of rules, where does this end? Why can't John McEnroe just call you out for a game of tennis? I mean, if we're going to change the rules and the MMA guy who's a tough guy, but you're going to go out there and kick his ass in a different sport other than what he does and somehow get a false sense of valor from it, why don't Tiger Woods or LeBron in one on one or Michael Phelps in swimming, why don't they just challenge these guys? It's the same level of silliness. And I got to tell you, I deal with it at Submission Underground. I deal with it all the time. I'll get some jiu-jitsu guy who wants to do a match, and I'll tell him, great, I found you a match. And they tell him, no, he he wants a name MMA guy. Okay, so you want to beat the MMA guy. Yeah, I want to beat the MMA guy, because I can. Well... If you're a grappler and you beat a grappler, I'll give you a pat on the back, but if you beat somebody from a different sport, why? Because they both take place in a cage? They're not the same sport. Because you put in a mouthpiece for both, or maybe even if you break it down to a more grassroots level, because you train under the same gym. The boxers and the kickboxers and the, the wrestlers and the jiu-jitsu guys are all under the same gym at some of these mega gyms. Is that the comparison that we're attempting to make? Because I know grapplers that won't grapple unless they can control the rule set. I literally know the greatest grappler alive right now is the champion of nothing. The greatest, gra- let me say it again, because there's no other athlete like this. On the face of the planet, the greatest grappler alive today is the champion of nothing. And he never will be. Because he will not compete unless he gets to make up the rules. So if I- I'll watch events, right? You watch the entire grappling card. You don't know what the hell's going on. It's some event and they got some rules that you've never heard of before that are exclusive to the event. Okay, great. I'll stick with you for two hours. Now, okay, great. I just learned the rules. It took me two hours, but I finally got Oh, the main event comes along where this guy shows up. New set of rules. Grappling wonders why you can't get anywhere. You can't get anywhere because you don't deserve to be anywhere. And I only bring that to you because stupid, stupid, any way you want to do it. And I compare it to the sport of grappling. Where I get some guy banging his chest in private asking for a name to come over from a sport that he doesn't do so he can get a win and act like he's he's got some notch on his belt. Or the boxer who wants to call the MMA fight. But it's always to his sport. And there's always like some sense of bravado when you do it. Like Tyson Fury would have got a sense of bravado. I'm willing to fight Francis Ngannou. That's a really good start to a really macho statement. If it ends with in his rules, but it never does. And it brings me back to some of the ridiculous statements that we're hearing going into Paul and Askren about what a great boxer Paul is. Paul is a really, really good boxer, and he's a really tough guy compared to what we thought he would be, which was a nerdy wimp. He's not a nerdy wimp. He's just a nerd. He's a tough nerd. But it's still in a box. I had a friend in college who watches these, and I don't want to tease him. He used to sing karaoke's on Thursday nights. And he was very good. For a guy that lived across the hall in my college house that I didn't know could sing at all. Not he was very good. He was very good. For... My roommate, who I didn't know even had the courage to take a microphone and stand up there, and I didn't know he was smart enough to memorize an entire song, I bring that to you because after he would say, like, man, you're really good. For you, he was having fantasies of, like, going off to Nashville that he had some hidden talent. It's all perspective. Paul is a tough guy. For what you think you'd get from a nerd in California. Askren's a tough guy. Amongst other world class Tough guys Alright guys That's it for today's show If you enjoyed it Please head to Apple Podcasts Leave us a 5 star review Like our friend Brad who says Favorite podcast Always the smartest guy in the room Well thank you Brad And thanks to all of you I look forward to speaking to you again on Friday Until then I'm Chael Sonnen And you are welcome